Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, as always, and I hope you guys had a good three-day weekend. If you had a three-day weekend, I kind of made it a four-day weekend here with the podcast, but, you know, it happens sometimes, so just bear with me here. All right, and we started off the week, so it's a short week, short trading week, uh, and we started off with quite a bang because we got two big reports with regards to housing, we got existing home sales and a rent report from CoreLogic that surprisingly shows that rent prices are not slowing down. <laughs> Definitely not if you live in Miami. My gosh, we're, we're gonna talk about that in a second here. So let's start with the existing home sales report. This is from the National Association of Realtors. And I gotta tell you, going into this report, I thought it was going to be really bad. Because let's face it, the last report we got, new home sales, or I'm sorry, it wasn't new home sales. It was building permits. And then of course, housing starts and they plummeted. Was it 14% housing starts? And so I thought, okay, this is gonna be bad. This is gonna be a bad report. And well, it wasn't, it wasn't up. It was down, but it wasn't as down as economists had projected. And so I actually was surprised by this report and thought, mm, that's actually not that bad. Of course, the media for the most part, they already had their narrative set, right? They're, this is gonna be a bad report. And even though it wasn't as bad as expected, they still pretty much ran with the, oh my gosh, the sky is falling with regards to housing. So what did the report say? Total existing home sales fell 3.4% from April to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 5.41 million in May. This is now the third month in a row of declines. So I get that third month in a row, it's a drop, I understand that. And year over year, uh, home sales are down 8.6%. So I get all that, that's all bad. But economists had projected that this was gonna be a 3.7% drop. They thought it was gonna be a bigger drop, and it wasn't. And so, I mean, sure, it wasn't great, but it was nowhere near as bad as that housing starts report. But most of the headlines I saw were like, oh no, this is it. Look, housing is on the decline. Things are horrible. So even though we did see a drop in the South, we continue to hold the top spot with regards to existing home sales. I mean, by far, it's like, building permits and housing starts and, com and completions and any other category involving housing. The South is number one by far. So in this case, existing home sales were down 2.8% month over month, but we're at a seasonally adjusted rate of 2.41 million. And this is now the ninth month in a row that the South is led, and here's why. So the next closest was the Midwest, which is pretty impressive because we've heard about major slowdowns in the Midwest. They were down 5.3% and have declined to an annual rate of 1.24 million. <laughs> so that's almost, it's like half. It's a little bit more than half of where the South is. So you can kind of get an idea of just how crazy the housing market is in the South, that the closest region is a little bit more than half <laughs> what is happening in the South. Uh, the West was also down about 5% to an annual rate of just over a million, 
1.08 to be exact. And the Northeast, well, they are the only ones with a positive month, but man, they're so far back. It doesn't really matter. Uh, they have an annual rate of 680,000. <laughs> I mean, that's just, I mean, that's, that is nuts. That once again is almost a fourth, a little bit more than a fourth <laughs> of what we're seeing in the house, in, in the house, in the South. So it's just nuts how crazy the Southern housing market is. So even though we're seeing a slowdown, it's still crazy activity in the South. So can you imagine, so people that are working in the South and are like, man, things are slowing down. Can you imagine what it's like in the Northeast? They're seeing just a little bit more than 25% of what we are seeing here in the South. So imagine what the slowdown is like up there. Now, when it comes to prices, yes, the South is doing okay but nothing can hold a candle to the West. This is the one category in housing. So I mentioned earlier, the South leads like every category. This is the one category where the West just dominates because of their inability to build houses out there, especially California with such a dominating role in the Western housing market. So the median existing home price overall, this is overall, was up 14.8% year over year to $407,600, new record. This is now the 123rd consecutive month of year-over-year increases, the longest-running streak on record. I mean, that's so amazing to me. I mean, you think about that. If you got into the real estate business 10 years ago, you have never seen home prices drop year-over-year. It's never happened. And so that's why when it does happen, and it is going to happen at some point, it's, I mean, those people are going to freak out. I mean, I just, you've been in business for 10 years. I mean, 10 years is a good amount of time and they've never seen a year over year price decline in housing. So as I mentioned, regionally, the West just dominates with uh, home prices are up 13.3% in the West year over year to now a median price of $633,000. <laughs> it's just it's so high. That is insane. $633,000 is the median home price or the last month. That's just that's just nuts. <laughs> it's just nuts. Uh the northeast even though they continue to see low activity, uh they're still number 2. They were up 6.7% year over year. So they actually fell under double digits. Uh, now a median home price, 409,000. So still doing okay. <laughs> 409,000. The South, oh, just once again, this is a category where the South is doing well in up 20.6% year over year. So price growth wise, nothing's even close to the South. Uh, they are now at 375,000 in the Midwest was up just under 10%, 9.5 to be exact. They are now at $294,500. So, I mean, we're almost at a point now where the cheapest region is gonna be over $300,000 for a median home price. And we're gonna talk about why that's important in a second. Uh, and unfortunately, this report found that first-time home buyers are facing the brunt of the rising rates and price environment. They were responsible for only 27% of sales in May. That was down from 28% in April and down from 31% in May of 2021. And not surprisingly, 
all cash sales. Well, they did fall slightly in May, 25%, a 1% decline from April, but still up from the 23% that we saw in May of 2021. But here's the good news. There's some good news in here, right? If you're a homeowner, this is great news. If you own a home in the West, it's phenomenal news. (laughs) But here's the really good news. Here is the good news. Because what is the purpose of all that's happening right now? With rising rates, what, what is the Fed trying to do with housing? They want to slow it down. We need to get back to a healthy, regular housing market. And we're not going to do that with inventory levels where they have been. So here is the good news. Inventory levels were up 12.6% month over month. At the end of the month, they were recorded at 1.16 million. That is phenomenal, but still down 4.1% from the previous year. And remember, that's not a good benchmark to be like, oh, we're equal to where we were in 2021 because that was also an unhealthy low inventory level. So we have ways to go, but we are at least moving in the right direction. But here's also what's fascinating is that this rise in inventory is not being caused by a drop in demand. And I know that because one key stat that will let you know how hot the housing market is, is time on market. How long are homes sitting on the market? And that actually shrank, shrunk, it got smaller. (laughs) The time period involved in May, it dropped to 16 days. From the previous month, it was 17 days. I mean, so time on market is actually declining. So there's still demand out there, but more people are listing. That's at least what I'm taking away from this report, which is a good sign. You're not seeing a complete collapse in demand. It is happening. I mean, that's why existing home sales are down because demand is falling. There's no doubt about that, but it's not entirely for that reason. So when a home that is perfect for someone hits the market, they are doing what they can to snap it up and get a hold of it. <laughs> so, and that's proof by the fact that uh, time on market actually fell month over month. And so that means demand, while a little bit less, is still out there and it's still pretty strong. And one of the big reasons for why everyone is so perplexed by what is happening in housing. And they say, how is this possible? I mean, you got rents going, I'm sorry, you have rates going up along with home prices. How is that possible? And one of the biggest factors, at least for about the last year, I've always been able to point to and say, okay, well, look what's happening with rents. Because before that, rents were falling. And so when you saw home prices jumping up, it was like, well, everyone just wants to buy. That's what's pushing them into that market. But now we're getting to a point where even though home prices are increasing and rates are increasing, making owning a home more expensive, when you're comparing it to the alternative, which is renting, because you got to do one or the other, right? You got to rent or you have to buy. (laughs) There's no no third option that I'm aware of. So when all of a sudden the cost of renting is now surpassing the cost of buying, that's going to push some people over to the buy side. Now you will get to a point where both are going to be difficult to afford, which usually will lead to people, don't usually team up and buy something, you team up and you rent something. And we're gonna get to that 
in a second. But this is a report from CoreLogic. It is the CoreLogic Single Family Rent Index, and it showed no signs of slowing with regards to rent. Year over year, U.S. single family rent growth continued its hot streak in April with prices up by 14% year over year, which is up from the 13.6% increase that we saw in March. So we're seeing month over month increases and year over year increases and no signs of that slowing. And as bad as 14% is, it could be worse. And it is demonstrably worse (laughs) if you are living in Miami. This, and I know it was the same last month, but you might've forgotten. I kind of forgot. Cause I had to go back. I was like, was it this, was it this last month? And I went, and it was Sli- slightly up year over year rent hikes in Miami, 40.8%. And yes, I said four T point eight. I'd say 14, 40.8%. Last month it was 40.7. <laughs> so a little bit of an increase. It's just, I can't imagine like renewing your rent in Miami and your rent jumps up almost 50%. 40.8%. That is seven times the rate reported or rate increase that was reported in April, 2021. I mean, that's just like just wrapping, I mean, 40.8%, uh, which just goes to show you what's heck, the craziness that's happening in Florida. Another Florida metro was actually number two, Orlando. They're up 25.8%. Now, normally that number is just insane, but you know, in comparison to the 40.8%, so things are always relative, right? So you're like, oh, only up 25% year over year. <laughs> That's not so bad. You could be in Miami where it's up 40%. Uh, Phoenix was number three, up 17.8%. San Diego up 17.3%. And Las Vegas up 17%. So 14%. Not looking so bad. Now, here's kind of the bad news. Because when it comes to price tiers, the middle of the pack is actually leading the way in this price growth. The higher middle price tier was at the most year over year, 14.6%, followed by the lower middle price up 14.4%. Lower price was up 13.7%. And higher priced was up the least year over year, 13.5%. And I say unfortunate. Because usually when you're looking at rent increases, you have to assume that people at the higher price level can more easily absorb price hikes than the people at the lower level. And so when you see a lot of growth happening or not a lot of growth happening at the higher level, you go, well, that's maybe not the best thing ever. But here's what's fascinating is that month over month, the higher price tier, way more than everyone else. 6.4% month over month. So that just goes to show you (laughs) <laughs> what it was last month. And the lower price tier saw the smallest increase. So that's good news. Only increasing 4%. Now, Molly Bozel, principal economist at CoreLogic, notes that the housing shortage isn't just for buyers. I mean, that's what's leading this push right now. Saying, quote, a shortage of single-family properties available for rent has plagued the market, pushing rents up at record level rates. The number of single-family rental properties listed in early 2022 was well below pre-pandemic levels and still shrinking from one year ago. So what we're seeing is just housing shortage. It's impacting buyers and it's impacting renters. 
And so there was a fascinating Twitter thread I saw, and I wanted to read it to you before we wrap things up. It's from Jay Parsons, who's an economist over at RealPage. And he said, one of the biggest drivers of rent growth over the last year, and arguably the biggest question mark going forward, has been income. Wage growth is part of inflation and among market rate apartment renters. Household incomes have kept pace with asking rents. Now, a lot of people who are going to dispute this. No way, that's not true. You know, wages are up, but they're not as much as rents. Well, his data since January 2020, both incomes, this is among new lease signers. Remember, this guy's from RealPage, so he's looking at, I mean, this is what his job is, <laughs> looking at this aspect of the economy. He says both incomes among new lease signers and asking rents have increased about 21.5%. Now, actual in-place rent rolls, which include all renters, not just new lease signers, increase a lesser 11.8%. And he says, we've seen similar trends across markets and asset classes with the most rent growth coming among class B and C renters, which makes sense. We just saw this. We just talked about that. That's from CoreLogic, where it said the higher middle and lower middle price tiers. That's B and C. That's what he's talking about here. Now, booming incomes help explain recent rent increases and also speak to why affordability ceilings remain distant for the average market rate apartment renter. As we said many times, Parsons writes, there is a clear difference between market rate affordability and a lack of affordable housing. Obviously, the crisis is the latter, but there is ample demand among renters who devote a low 20% share of income towards rent and pay on time. But he does point out we need a lot more affordable housing to support renters who couldn't afford market rate longer or, or market rate long prior to COVID. Going forward, incomes also become a big question mark. If we do get the you know the dreaded stagflation, he points out, which of course means that you see slowing growth, but uh, rising prices, that could be a big question mark. And he does point out that people on the lower income level will probably have to start rooming together, which is kind of funny because they had this New York Times piece where the New York Times seemed like flabbergasted at the idea of roommates. They're like, people are are doing crazy things to deal with these high home costs. They're living with strangers. <laughs> it's like like roommates <laughs> like people have been doing since the beginning of time. Like what your paper used to advertise in the classifieds and people were looking for roommates. It's not this foreign concept. Uh, but yeah, I mean, affordable housing means a lot of things. There's no doubt about that. But here's the thing. We need to build more homes of any variety. You know, the argument always ends up becoming when you're talking about building homes, people always say, we've got to build affordable houses. We've got to build affordable housing. Well, like I said, affordable housing is kind of this word that means different things to different people. It doesn't really fit any set definition. There's no real set definition. Because, I mean, there was a great, there was a great exchange that I always think of when we have this conversation about affordable housing. Because, I mean, what, what Parsons is pointing out is there's a lot of people out there that can afford these properties. And, and I was reading this Twitter exchange and it reminded me of probably the greatest Twitter exchange, one of the, I don't want to say the greatest because there's some amazing Twitter exchanges. <laughs> but one of the greatest uh, was this uh, guy, M. Nolan Gray, who I follow. He's big, big housing uh proponent out there big big yimby a big fan of his 
and he what he one of his what's kind of known for on Twitter is he tweets development and he'll tweet like say a picture of like a house and say you know for example here was a vacant lot it was a, it was a vacant parking lot and then five years later now it's an apartment complex that has 50 units or 30 units whatever it is well one time he posted this picture it was like a Burger King and then it turned into a apartment complex and it was like now this is like a hundred units in here or whatever and this idiot lady <laughs> I don't even know her name I don't even want to know her name because she's dumb I don't want to follow her I don't want to put her name in my brain and have me remember it she said how many were affordable and there were two great response two great responses one was from M. Nolan Gray the guy that started the, the thread and he said well 95% of the building is full so I would say all of them because <laughs> he's like if you're are, are they affordable well yeah night the people that are living there can afford them so maybe that wasn't your question. I think your question was, you know, are they uh, who can afford them is the question because <laughs> affordable housing just means can someone afford it? Like most housing is affordable by its very nature, right? If someone can afford it, otherwise no one's going to buy the property. No one's going to rent the property. So affordable housing is yes, all of it is affordable housing to the people who are able to max out the occupancy levels. But there was a great response this is the one that most people refer to when looking at this because I like the M. Nolan Gray's response. But this is also a great one from Binion uh, Applebaum who said, well, how many affordable units were in the Burger King? Because, <laughs> you know, it's like they built 100 units. That's 100 places for people to stay that didn't exist before. And anyone that's followed any aspect of economics, especially looking at housing, knows they've done tons of studies on this. And any type of building of any kind helps lower housing costs. It can be all luxury. It can be middle tier. It can be affordable. <laughs> They're all affordable, I guess. It can be low income, whatever it is. As long as you're building, you will have a a positive benefit on housing costs. And I mean that through the renter buyer's eyes. It's more affordable. And that was Applebaum's point is, well, there was zero in the Burger King. <laughs> They were not. So now there's a hundred places and and you're concerned. Well, how many, how many of them are working class? What are they called? It's not working class. It's um, like working affordability or uh, something along those lines. But the reality is, is that we got to build and this tight supply is going to do one of two things. It's either going to make us build more, which unfortunately, as we mentioned, the building permits and, and housing starts report was not a good sign of that. that. That's an unfortunate one of the realities that happens. You see a contraction in housing and all of a sudden builders kind of, uh oh, well, tense up. Maybe we're going to slow down our projects now. And this is, we need them ramping them up because when rates do drop and we do start to see some activity and demand pick up home prices, because what's the inevitable outcome of all this? You know, rates increase, prices will drop. And then eventually when rates drop, all of a sudden homes will be more affordable as prices fall a little bit. Not a lot, you know, five, 10% somewhere along those lines. And that will open up more buyers. And it would be great if there were a lot of properties out there because the more properties are, that will drop prices more. See, that's how it works. <laughs> but it's hard when you start to see all of a sudden demand pull back. And so the other alternative is that people start getting roommates again. And they didn't have to under COVID because their stimulus or maybe their wages were going up, whatever it may be. So we're looking at home prices still going up and rent prices are really going up. 
<laughs> so that's, you can take it. This is and say, hey, well, these reports weren't that great, but they also weren't that bad. I mean, obviously, if you're in Miami, it's pretty bad. 40% year over year increase in rents. But like I said, total existing home sales actually fell less than expected. I will take that as a win. I'm looking for the silver linings when I can find them. Oh, and the op-ed of the day. I always love to have you know a good read. If you want to check it out, you can go to the website, marketsandmortgages.com. Paul Winfrey and Rachel Gresler have a great piece at the Wall Street Journal talking, speaking of labor and wages, uh, apprenticeships, not college, can help reduce unemployment. A flexible industry-driven alternative for workforce education has a proven record of success. It's a good piece. It is on the website. You can go there and check it out, as well as everything else we talk about here on the podcast. You can also go there and sign up for, of course, the companion newsletter, which is everything we discuss here and more. There's some more fun stuff in the newsletter as well. It comes out every morning at around 6, before 6, 5.30, 6, somewhere around there. But we got to go. You guys, enjoy your Wednesday. It's good to be back after my four-day break here from the podcast. We'll talk to you again Thursday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.